And as we are turning there, the days are going to work with the young people today. Always look for movement to see if there's someone moving. If not, I'm not going to dismiss young people to just go in that upper room. Boy, that would be that would be disaster, wouldn't it? Maybe they'd get some trim up or something. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> there, there you go. We're not going to have any teachers next week. They're going to get trim. Oh, wow. Wow. We, we could really be surprised at what they do with the, with the building. All right. You're in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, chapter 9. That Yeah, that could be a disaster. I'm going to send you up there to work with them and make sure the trim gets done, Brother Duncan. All right. So there you go. All right. You are, you are there, hopefully, by now, and I, I don't hear any more pages uh, rustling. Uh, our encouragement this year is to have that EVS, all right, that eternal value system. And Matthew 6 is a jumping-off point for numerous uh, passages of Scripture that tell us that we need to have a view on eternal things. And this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different, so, I, so I'm warning you, all right, right now. Uh, normally, I really do like to just preach through a, a passage. You know that. We looked at 2 Peter last week, by the way. 2 Peter chapter 3 reminds us to have an eternal value system, and one of the areas, not only are we to have a holy life, but at the end, we kind of tied that into the matter of missions, because the matter of missions is brought out very powerfully in 2 Peter chapter 3. Because we're told in verse 9 that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's coming a day when God will destroy the, the heavens and the earth, and uh, and will make a new one. And we, there's a, a day to look forward to for believers. But in light of that fact, there's a reason He hasn't come. And the reason is... He wants people to be saved. He wants people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we had the opportunity to look at that. You remember, if you would, in that passage, I, I'm not re-preaching the message, I know, all right? So that's not the warning, okay? In 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, in verse 15, he goes back to that subject again and just reminds believers, hey, look, he's coming again, but he's waiting, and he wants people to be saved. And that is the heartbeat of missions. It's, it's that God has a heartbeat for people. He's tarried his coming for thousands of years now, and he may very well tarry his coming for, for thousands more. We don't know. But until that time, we've got opportunity to win people to Christ. So I've been asking myself this question. I'm just boring you with details here. But I've been asking myself this question. What does, does having the eternal value system really have to do with missions? And what ties does, do Scripture make between missions and having that view of eternal things? And as I've been thinking about that, I've looked up numerous verses that talk about eternity and talk about the things to come. And today, um, it's going to be a compilation of a number of passages that I've looked at that God has challenged me about the fact He's coming again and what it means for missions. And it's my prayer that, that today we'll just... We'll just meet together and we'll be stirred about being concerned about missions. Uh, from God's Word, as we think about eternity, what's to come. Because when God talks about what's to come, He tells us we need to be concerned about today. And so, um, it's my prayer that God will use His Word and a number of different verses to just help us think this morning. It's a very serious message, I warn you already, but it's an important for one for us to hear. 
So you're in Hebrews chapter 9. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I need your help this morning to preach the truth we're, we're going to see from your word in a loving way, but Lord, in a, in a very straightforward and powerful way, and I need your help for that. I ask your spirit to make the truth of God known uh, to us this morning. Make it clear that your heart's desire and your concern, as Peter reminds us, is that people would come to faith in Christ and that there is a need and that there is uh, an eternity uh, that people need to prepare for. And so this morning, please just stir us and help us to think through the truths that Scripture lay out for us about what is to come so that we might live today as we ought. And I'll thank you for what you'll do and how you'll help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Every time my wife and I go to the dentist, they try to set up an appointment for a follow-up visit. I don't like those things. I don't like going to the dentist in the first place anyway, all right? But my, most times, my wife obliges. But I'm always trying to make it much later. They'll give a, a date like six months, and my wife will look at me, and I'll say, nah, nah, it can be a little bit later than that. And, and you know, they may give eight months or something to that effect. No, nah, no, nah, it can be later than that. My wife will then will say, because she knows me, well, let's make it, a, you know, let's make it a year. Uh, because the truth is, I don't really like those appointments. Any, anyone here with me on that? Okay, I know there's a few people that have had some. We've had a lot of tooth work done here. Um, so uh, you understand, all right? Anyway, unfortunately, my wife eventually wins out. A year later, an appointment comes around. Now, I like my dentist as a person. He's a great guy. I really do like him. But I hate my dentist. Do you, do you know what I mean? Okay, everyone can relate to this, or at least a number of people can relate to this. Um, if it were up to me, I'd cancel every dental appointment I have until my teeth fall out. But, you know, I need it. Now, um, something happened with our last appointment, and it had to be put off. I don't remember exactly what happened, and I was okay with that, uh, hoping it'd be another year before we met. But unfortunately, my wife uh, put me on the uh, waiting list. Okay, so here's the idea of the waiting list. Uh, they call you whenever they have a cancellation. And you know, there's something I learned that no one else likes going to the dentist either because they have cancellations all the time. I mean, it's like unbelievable. We, it, well, I don't know if we changed our vacation date or whatever, and so it was going to be during the time we were supposed to go to the dentist. And so she canceled it, and we're on this waiting list, and we go away, and it almost seemed like every day they were calling saying, well, we have an opening today. We have an opening today. And I would love to hear my wife say these words. We can't make it. We can't make it. We can't make it. And it happened probably like five or six times. And so I come to the realization I'm not alone in this world. No one else wants to go to their dentist and everyone tries to get out of it as well. Well, the reason they do is because they don't necessarily like that. Um, there are appointments that we would love to cancel or change or ignore. Sometimes we're pushed into appointments. You ever been pushed into one where you felt like, oh man, I have to go and I have to do this or whatever. And there are appointments we can change, we can, we can avoid, we can get out of in some way, we can cancel, but there is one appointment we will never get away from. It's an appointment that everyone has according to Hebrews chapter 9, and that is an appointment with God. 
The Bible says this in Hebrews 9.27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. People can cancel appointments in this world. People can change appointments in this world. People can ignore appointments in this world. But there's one appointment you and I will never be able to shake, and that is the appointment we have with God. There is coming a day when we will meet our Maker. In Hebrews chapter 9, if we were just to relate the, the, the teaching of the passage to this truth, it's kind of explained in verse 29 because it's talking about Jesus Christ and about what Jesus Christ has done when he died on the cross for our sins and provided a way of salvation. And once for all, he provided the sacrifice that was needed for sins. That's what this chapter is about. And so the point is, everyone is appointed to stand before God, but everyone can prepare for that day. Isn't that a wonderful truth? But that truth that we will stand before God is to have an impact upon our lives. No matter who you are this morning, whether you know Jesus Christ as Savior this morning, or whether you don't know him as Savior, there is something for you to be learned about what is to come, that appointment that you have with God. Now, our challenge is to have that eternal value system and, uh, and to see how it should impact our lives today. So this morning, as we look at Hebrews 9, as we look at some other passages, I hope you really, truly will be stirred about the fact that there's coming a day when you'll stand before God. In fact, that's the declaration we find in this passage. The declaration is everyone has an appointment with God. Everyone will stand before God. Now, we know from the Bible there's two different judgments, and we don't have time to get into all those, but those actually are part of having an eternal value system, understanding there's two judgments. There's a great white throne judgment talked about in Revelation 20. We'll get to that very shortly. There's another judgment for believers. Uh, sometimes it's called the Bema Seat. It's where believers will stand before God and give account, but the truth of the matter is everyone will be judged by God. Everyone. In the end time, it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment, everyone has an appointment with death. People don't like to talk about that. In fact, that's why this morning uh, there's some hesitancy to talk about it, because it's not always a pleasant thing. Someone actually painted a thought-provoking picture about what's to come, and here's how they put it. They said, much sooner than you can anticipate, you will be the silent guest at your own funeral. No doubt there will be relatives and friends present to mourn for you whom you haven't seen in years. After the preacher delivers a message in your memory, you will be taken to a graveyard, given a final farewell, and, and buried. The retirement you spent your life working for will be gone forever. Remember the new car you worried about scratching? The new owner just wrecked it. Uh, the newlyweds who bought your house, they've redecorated the room. You just finished decorating to your liking before you passed on. Your personal belongings, oh, they've been sorted, some discarded. The dog's making a bet out of your favorite old coat, old, old coat. The clothes of yours that no one could wear or didn't want, which is probably most of them, have been boxed and taken to goodwill. Your personal treasures that were valuable to you, the carefully preserved flower, the, the lock of hair, the torn picture, the stained postcard, they were burned as trash. 
you attended a number of funerals in your lifetime, but for some reason you never expected to be lying in the casket yourself. Sure, someday, maybe tomorrow. You always thought, but not today. Sooner or later, everyone runs out of time. It's true. Sooner or later, everyone runs out of time. So, what? Why do we need to contemplate that reality? Because God, in his word, in the passage before us, tells us to contemplate it. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You see, everyone has an appointment with death, and everyone will be judged by God. You can't escape it. God will judge his people. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that very fact in verses 30 and 31, talking about Israel, and it's a reference to a passage talked about in the Old Testament. Vengeance belongeth unto me, it says. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And in that passage in verse 31, it says this, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into his hands if you're not ready for that day. God tells us that there is a judgment day coming. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The reason we have to speak about this death appointment is because of this judgment. But what I'm thankful for is that the scripture tells us we don't have to fear it. We can be ready for it. And I know that most everyone in this room has given testimony to the fact that you're ready for that day. But I don't want to assume that everyone is ready for the day. And it's important for us yet to think about the reality that there is a coming day. The truth is you can prepare for it. In fact, that's what we just mentioned in verse 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You see, you can be prepared for that judgment time. You can be prepared for that day. In fact, quite honestly, verse 27 is preached, I think, a lot of times negatively, when in reality this chapter is a very positive chapter. Because it tells us about, exactly about what Jesus Christ accomplished when he came to this earth. Because when Jesus came to this earth, he came to prepare people for that judgment. He came to give his life as payment for sin. Because no payment could be made for sin that was sufficient. Yes, the Old Testament people used to sacrifice. The Old Testament Jews used to go and make sacrifices all the time for their sins. But Hebrews tells us that that sacrifice did nothing to remove sin. And the reason it didn't was because all it did was picture what was going to happen someday. And we've made reference to this many times, but John said it so well, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. When he saw Jesus Christ, he understood that Jesus' purpose, Jesus' ministry, his work, in fact, he was a forerunner of the Christ, that his work in ministry would be to prepare people for the day when they would meet God. And so Hebrews 9 talks all about that and says, Jesus provided the way so men could be ready. And so we have a declaration in Hebrews 9.27. But the rest of Scripture gives us some important things that we need 
to know about that. So let's consider the destination. In Revelation chapter 20, God once again gives us a focus on the end times. He helps us to see there's an eternity coming and there is a judgment. And this is where we find that great white throne judgment. It is a fearful judgment. It is a, a terrifying judgment, at least according to the picture given in Scripture. Verse 11 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And the terrifying words of verse 15 need to be considered. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. My friends, this morning, we need to be reminded all the time there is a judgment day coming. And there are one of two destinations, according to Scripture. Revelation chapter 20 reminds us of one of those destinations, the lake of fire. There is a hell to shun. And I tell you, there's not a lot of people preaching on it these days, but it needs to be preached on. Because it's still there. It still exists. And people will be judged and people will be sentenced there. And I would be a liar if I told you something different. But do you know that there are, are even preachers, many preachers today, who refuse to preach on the subject of hell? For whatever reason they might have, they find it unpalatable in our, in our day and age. And by the way, it's not a, a subject that is very pleasant to preach on. And yet it needs to be preached. Came across an article just this past week about a Reverend, Reverend Kalen Freestad, I think it is, a United Methodist minister in Iowa for 27 years, began a ministry not too long ago called Destined for Salvation. And in that, uh, in that ministry, their ministry is focused on uh, helping people. And here's the description of the future according to him. I have found that many people want to know how a God of love and mercy could throw some people into hell and leave them there for eternity. They wonder if this belief could really be true. Such a negative view of God doesn't have to prevail. The alternative is to realize and celebrate that, according to the Bible, God will not abandon lost people in this life or in the next, but will continue to work for their conversion and transformation until every one of them is saved. This will be done without violating anyone's free will, just as those of us who are already Christians were converted without our free will being violated. I believe that the teaching of God of eternal damnation is contrary to everything Jesus stood for. It causes many people to turn away from God. On the other hand, I found that people are naturally and joyfully drawn to the true God of love, forgiveness, and nurture to experience salvation. The teaching of a God of eternal damnation does a terrible injustice to God. It makes God our adversary rather than our advocate. And an unmerciful judge who holds a grudge for eternity. That is the description of his ministry. 
Because ministry is not a ministry that tells the truth. For the truth is, there is a coming judgment. And there is an eternal destination of people part of God in that destination is hell. The lake of fire, as it described in Revelation chapter 20, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. There is a hell to shun. And whether preachers want to preach about it today, whether people want to talk about it today, it cannot be ignored if you want to be prepared for eternity. Because living with an eternal value system keeps before you the fact that there is a coming judgment. And that, that judgment will determine where someone goes. And it's vitally important that people be prepared for that day. Do you know that in the very next chapter, there's some real encouraging words? Because he says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And it goes on to talk about how God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there is a heaven to look forward to as well. Not just a hell to shun, not just a lake of fire to be uh, fearful of, yes, fearful of, but there also is a heaven to look forward to. John chapter 14, right before Jesus left this earth, he took a lot of time in uh, six, six verses to share with his followers that he was going to prepare a place for them. And if he went to prepare a place for him, he would go and he would take them to be with him. And he describes it uh, quite a bit or talks about it quite a bit there in John chapter 14. Dealt with it here in Revelation chapter 21, talking about New heaven and the new earth that God has prepared. Uh, the Lord talks about mansions that he's prepared, rooms that he has prepared in this place in John chapter 14. And he tells us that we can go and we can know the way. There is a heaven to desire. Future. There's a coming judgment. It will determine uh, heaven or hell. Which one are you headed for? But it begs the question, if you know him as Savior, which one are your friends headed for? And which one are your co-workers headed for? And which one are your neighbors headed for? And which one um, is the, the waiter that will wait at your table this afternoon going to? There is a coming judgment. And there is a destination that people are going to. And God warns us that we need to help people get ready. You know what the difference is between heaven and hell, according to Revelation 20 and 21? One book. One book. It is. It is interesting. If you take the time to read in Revelation chapter 21, where he talks about that great white throne, in verse 12, he talks about the dead, small and great, standing before God. He talks about the fact that there are a number of books that are going to be taken out. I guess there aren't computers in heaven. Don't, don't know. doesn't really make a difference. The Lord doesn't need computers. He has books, and, and they must be pretty large books, don't you suppose? It talks about a number of books there. Say, what are, what are the books all about? Well, actually, it's going to talk about one in this passage. But those books are the works of people that have lived on this earth. Does anyone find that an amazing thing? I don't know how it's all going to work, but I do know this. God has books that have the works of all men recorded 
and men will be judged by those books. Now, what will the judgment be and what's going to happen? Do you know we're not told anywhere about those books and what specifically those judgments will be? Some people uh, believe that it has to do, because this is the great white throne judgment, that in hell there are different, there are different levels. Don't know. It really doesn't matter. What does matter, though, is the one book that's talked about in that chapter. Because he talks about one book that's taken out called the book of life. Do you see it there? Take a moment and look, if you would, in verse, uh, uh, let's see, uh, verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You look in the middle of verse 12 and you see there are books open. Another book was opened, that other book is that book of life. And in that book of life are recorded those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who are part of the family of God, who have been granted eternal life. And all those who are written in the book of life will be spared in that day, but those who aren't will be cast in the lake of fire. That is the truth. You see, there is a difference. There is a destination, an eternal destination. It's heaven or it's hell. And that is what the scriptures are very clear about. And there is a judgment coming that we need to prepare for. And the difference between the two is one book, the book of life. And getting your name written in the book of life is vitally important. But there's a dilemma according to scripture. Take a moment and turn back to Matthew chapter 7, if you would. Because as scriptures talk about these two places and talk about eternity and what's going to happen to people, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus took a little time in the Sermon on the Mount to deal with that subject and to talk about eternity and to talk about, if you would, uh, how important it is to be written in the book of life. He doesn't put it that way. He shares in Matthew chapter 7 a great dilemma. And it's an important one for everyone in this room to consider and contemplate. You might be here and you might be saying, you know, Pastor, I'm already ready for that judgment because my name is in the book of life. Great. Wonderful. We'll talk about how to get it there. And we will spend a few moments on that subject. But it is important for us to understand that we live in a world where a lot of people don't know that truth. And it was in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus addressed that subject in verse 13. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and may there be which go in thereat. Now, now I'm going to stop for a moment, and I want you to see that last phrase again, because it's different than what you hear from people. But, Christ said, many there be which go in thereat. Would you say that with me? Many there be which go in thereat. There's a lot of people headed toward this broad road toward destruction, whether that United Methodist preacher believed it or not. There's a lot of people that are headed for eternal damnation. Do you know in just about any funeral service you go to, they'll always talk about people looking down upon us. I'm sure my loved one is looking down upon me. And everyone at the funeral, probably a great majority of those people would say, I'm headed for heaven and certainly I will make it there because I know people who are worse than me. I don't know what reasoning they'd give because most people like to believe they're headed there. But Jesus gave a different picture. 
In verse 14, he goes on to describe again a little further, but because straight is the gate and there is the way which leadeth unto life. And what does he say? Join with me. And few there be that find it. So what is the truth and what is the reality? According to Scripture, there are far more in that final judgment in Revelation chapter 20 who are going to be going to an eternal lake of fire than who are going to heaven. There are far more that are not written in the book of life than that are written in the book of life. Would you agree with that fact? Jesus Christ stated that fact, and if anyone would know, certainly he would be one. There is a heaven to desire. There is a hell to shun. The book of life makes a difference, but there is a dilemma. Many are on the broad road, and few are on the, the narrow road to life eternal. Why are many on the broad road? Do you know the Bible answers that in many places? We don't have time this morning to look at all of them. One reason is because there is a devil. And the Bible says in one place that Satan hath blinded the minds of those who would believe, might believe, but he's blinded their minds that they might not come to the truth. So Satan is involved in keeping people in the dark, if you would, about how to get to the narrow way and how to find the narrow way that leads to life. Not only is Satan involved in that, but our own flesh is involved in that. People love their sin. They want to continue in their, their path. They don't want to, if you would, submit themselves to the God of heaven and say, your way is the only way. It's the right way. I'm willing to accept that. People like to think that they can get there on their own because that's part of our human nature. Our human nature is to be proud and think we're okay on our own. You see, there's a lot of reasons why many would be going on the broad road and few that find the way to eternal life. Some are headed there because, in fact, millions, because they're duped by religion, by men like that Methodist preacher who doesn't tell people the truth. Let me tell you something. There, there are churches all around us this morning meeting good people who give their lives as far as how they're living their lives, gives their lives for their churches will end up in hell someday because they haven't heard the message of how to get their name written in the book of life. And quite honestly, in the South, we've said it so many times, but it's true. Everyone's saved. But the truth is, if the Bible is true, most of those people are duped. They have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They don't have eternal life because broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be which go in there at. But look at that verse once again in verse 14. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And what would you expect to be found in that last phrase? You say, well, few there be which go in thereat. Isn't that what you would expect? He said, many are going to this place. Few are going to this place, are choosing to go into this place. But it's interesting that Jesus made a statement, and it's a very important statement for us this morning if you're part of the family of God. He says, few there be that find it. The truth is, people are confused today. People are duped by religion. 
They're blinded by Satan. They're blinded by their own flesh and maybe even their own pride. And therefore, they don't even know that they're headed for a Christless eternity. And few can find the narrow road. Some are not headed there because they can't find it. And do you know what that suggests? It suggests that there are some people who would like to go there, but won't because they never find out. How are they going to find out? How will they find out? Well, the Lord will send someone. Who? Think with me this morning. This isn't this isn't rocket science, you know? This isn't really just I can't fathom this. Who is going to help people find who are going to help people find the narrow road? Missionaries are Actually, those who know, those who found the answer, those who have found the narrow road are the only ones that can help others find the other the narrow road. That, that, that's, that's common sense, isn't it? But the truth is, we don't think about that all that much. We just say, I've got it. I know I'm headed to heaven. I know where I'm going. My name is in the book of life. But I wonder if at times we just haven't considered what Jesus was saying there. The reason few are going is not because few want to go. At least to some extent, the reason why few are going is because some haven't been able to find the way. And do you know Jesus talked about that in another place? Matthew chapter 9 says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but... Come on, you know it. You're, yeah, come on, you've heard it so many times, right? But the... Like, so then, the truth is, more people would be on the narrow road if more people were doing their job. Because it tells us in verse 14 that few can find it. Part of the problem in being a witness for Jesus Christ is helping people see that they're not on the narrow road. Part of the problem is helping people see where the narrow road is and helping people get reconciled with God. But the truth of the matter is, if you believe in eternal destiny, then you have something to do about it today. Because you can do something about it today. So let me share with you, lastly, the decision, or if you would, the duty. One or two things in regard to the fact that there is an eternity coming.
And there is a broad road that leads to destruction. And there is a narrow road that leads to life eternal. Two things. First would be a decision if your name is not written in the book of life. If you don't know for sure you're on that narrow road, if you've been confused, in fact, I found a lot of people are confused that have been involved in all sorts of different churches. So many times someone come visit our church and uh, and their past is that they've been in numerous churches. And if you ask them the question, do you know if you're to die today, you'd go to heaven? A lot of times they're confused because they don't know which answer you ex- they, 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 which answer you expect. So they might just say, well, uh, I'm not really sure. And then as you start talking about things a little bit further and try to share Jesus Christ with them, they'll just say something like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that. Have you ever had someone do that? Or have you ever had someone tell you, well, well, um, I was baptized when I was such and such an age, and then they realize that's not the right answer after you start to talk with them further, and then they change their answer. Well, okay, I did trust Jesus, though. Come on, you, you've had people like that, haven't you, in your conversations with folks? Why? Because, because people are confused about how to get there. And the truth of the matter is people need to know how to get their name written. And the first thing is, is a decision if your name isn't written. You say, well, how do I know if it is? Here's how you know. Peter and uh, Peter, Paul and Silas, I'm sorry, told a man who had just uh, held them in prison these words, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He made it that simple. In many other scriptures, the same truth is told. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth with a purpose. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about that purpose. Jesus Christ came and he died and shed his blood for the sins of the world so that a man could go to heaven and be part of the family of God and be ready for that judgment when he'll stand before God and God will determine where he goes. A man's name is written in the book of life when he comes to the realization. It's not through baptism. It's not through church. It's not through what I do. It's not through being a good person. It's not based on how I live. It's not based on what I've done. When a man realizes I am a sinner and I can't get to heaven on my own. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that because of my sin, I deserve to pay for it in an eternal lake of fire. And there is an eternal lake of fire and a just Holy God will send people there, not because he desires that, but because they choose that by refusing to come his way. But God, who is great in mercy, loved men and sent his only begotten son into this world, who came for this reason to seek and to save that which was lost. He lived a life without sin. He was condemned to die on a cross. He shed his blood on that cross, and his blood was payment for the sins of the world because without shedding of blood, Hebrews 9 tells us, there's no remission. There's no forgiveness. There's no cleansing of the heart and life apart from the shedding of blood. And Christ's blood being shed on that cross was payment for your sin and mine. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And the message of the gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus Christ indeed came from God, that he is God.
that he came and lived a life without sin and that he paid for your sin on the cross. And put your trust in that. Receive it. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's only one way to be saved, and that way is Jesus Christ. And that decision needs to be made. Your name is written in the book of life when you make a decision for Jesus Christ. If, it's, if you haven't made that decision, then let me tell you today, there, there is no other decision for you to make than that one. And none more important than that one. Because it is appointed unto men once to die. And after this, the judgment. A decision if your name isn't written. But a duty if your name is written. There is a duty. The Bible teaching about eternity, heaven and hell, life and death. Christians... It ought to move us. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 ought to move us. If indeed some don't find the narrow way, because no one told them, and that's fair to assume, some can't find it, then what does that do to those who have eternal life? Does it not challenge us? How shall they hear without preacher? How shall they hear without someone to proclaim the truth that there is a narrow way, a very narrow way? There's only one way. Jews don't know that. Muslims don't know that. Frankly, those in Christianity, a, a large number, don't know that. Because people are taught all sorts of ways. But there's only one. Having an eternal value system, there's a coming judgment. There's two destinations. And there's only one way to get into the heaven that's talked about in Revelation 21. It's at the heart of missions. It's Christians realizing that if people are going to be there, it's because someone tells them. And quite honestly, missions isn't, isn't your wallet. Missions is your heart. Missions needs to be, there are people who need to hear, and I'm concerned. And quite honestly, if you understand this truth, then when we get to the Commitment Sunday, this won't be a big deal. Because you'll want to do everything you can. Who here, seriously, who here wouldn't want people to be on the narrow way to life eternal? I, there, there's no one in their right mind in this room, and I know you folks, you're in your right mind. No one in their right mind would say, ah, yeah, I don't want people to hear about the narrow way. But then, when it comes down to it, we say that, but do we really believe it? Because if few find it, it's, it's got to be because either no one tells them 
It may be that they don't want it, but we would assume that no one just told them. And where does that fall? God doesn't send angels. He doesn't. He uses men. And you know the book of Acts is really clear about that? You read through the book of Acts, and there were a number of times angels gave messages. But you know what the message always was? Someone will tell you the truth of the gospel. A human being, a person who knows it, will share it with you. That's how Cornelius got saved. Angel, Don't you think the angel could have told Cornelius how to be saved? Wouldn't that have been a lot easier than sending Peter? Seriously. Why did Peter have to leave where he was to go over there to talk to, to this guy, Cornelius, when he could have been saved with an angel just saying, Jesus died for your sins? Here's the reason why. Because God has chosen to make the narrow way clear through those who are on the narrow way. You and me. And they won't hear without that. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, but it takes that preacher. So look, I know we didn't walk through some nice passage today, but in reality, many times when Jesus talked about the future and what's to come, he challenged his own to be concerned about the lost. What does the fact that you're going to heaven someday mean today? And certainly one of the aspects is that you need to be concerned about souls. And by the way, the finger that goes there also comes here. I need to be concerned about souls because people need to be told how to be saved. It's kind of simple, kind of basic. But here's the truth. Sometimes it's just it's not getting there. Because a lot of Christians just seem to be so caught up in life that we forget about eternal life. That's that EVS, the eternal value system. There's something coming. And the only way people can be spared from hell is to have their name in the book of life. And it will only happen if someone tells them. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.